We're here with uh, Charles Perry. I know I didn't mispronounce that. That one's easy. <laughs> yeah. That's um, a nice, nice, easy name for once. Yeah, I do what I can for you guys. <laughs> I appreciate it. From uh, um, Medikite, right? Medikite software? Yeah, Medikite software. And that's... Uh, Medikite. How did we come up with this name? Um, the, the domain was available. <laughs> <laughs> that's the way every good domain is found. Uh, no. I, actually, I came company. up with a ridiculous script that sort of brute-forced... Uh, lots of nouns with lots of prefixes and suffixes. Oh, I, have <laughs> so this, I, out of it. I have the same thing. I wrote it in Perl in 2005. <laughs> we all had the same thing. <laughs> Great minds thinking think alike here. That's yeah. right. I mean, I mean, in the end, all you looked for manually is like adjective noun, adjective noun with a whole you know certain number of syllables, and as long as it sounded good, so it's easy enough to script that together and uh, come up with something. But at the time, the only one that had like an API for bulk availability search was like GoDaddy or something. Otherwise, you couldn't. Hit See, a I didn't server. get that sophisticated. I don't use an API. I just use their. Uh, I generate uh, just text files and then copy them into uh, GoDaddy's web page. And I think they do them. You can do them like two hundred at a time or something like that. Okay. So, oh wow! Yeah, yeah. I think that's what I did too. I don't remember if I used an API. Or that's what I did. Yeah, but yeah, same idea. Sort of prefixes and adjectives and nouns and. I mean. After days of hitting your head against the wall, you'll do anything. Just <laughs> <That's exactly right>. <laughs> <laughs> At some point, desperation kicks in. You're like, give me something that is free. <laughs> yeah. I got a, I'm chipping away at this little idea. Who knows? It, you know, probability of shipping is low as with everything I start, but I did go for the, uh, for the like fake, not a real word name this time. Cause it's like, ah, oh, it's just glorious to be able to get, names like get a domain name you can get even this one i couldn't get a pure twitter name but i got a reasonable one you know and just in general like you go do the trademark search there's no trademarks on it you're like ah oh, yes like i can just use this name and not have fourteen thousand hoops to jump through which is kind of yeah. nice i stopped with real words a long threshold. time ago yeah. um, i got a pretty high threshold for trademark stuff myself i got a I've been on the receiving end of more than one cease and desist letter over the years. (laughs) I'm a lot more careful about that stuff now than I used to be. Yeah, that's a thing. Nobody ever, like, nobody ever checks that stuff, but you got to check. That stuff's important because you hate to be all the way, you know, you you ship and, you know, you got somebody somebody makes you change your name, you know, six months into something that's going really well. That's going to be a problem for you. Yeah. Luckily, it was uh, for my business name and not the product Mm. name. Actually, although I did go for my product name too. Now that I think about it, <laughs> I was able to negotiate that one uh, away for the most part. But it was, yeah, it's, yeah. Every time I get a, a, a like a physical mail, like dead tree letter in yeah. the in the mail, that's from like a, a a lawyer's office. I just sort of freeze up and like, oh, please don't let this be another one. <laughs> we had our first one ever, like a month or two ago. Like that was an actual in the mail one. That was legit and not just some like scammy thing. For what? It was like a legit for, season desist. For Hellspot? Oh, uh, it was yeah. Well, no, not not um regarding our, our trademarks, but regarding we mentioned a competitor's name on our site on there was one page about this competitor and you know, it was just like factual information of the differences mm-hmm. between us, but they didn't like that. Uh, you know, this is like a huge competitor picking on me, the little guy here, but well, fine. That's how you know uh, you made so, it. Right. I think we could have fought it. Like, I mean, I, uh, you know, I think what, what we did was no different than you've seen a million other times. That doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it right. I, legally, I don't know. I looked into it a little bit. I didn't even call a lawyer because 
I'm not going to spend the money on it. It's not a big part. You know, it has zero impact on our business to have this page or not have this page. So it's not worth fighting. And I capitulated like a sucker and just took it down. But, uh, but yeah, it was kind of annoying because I know that it was probably very fine and not an issue and they're just bullying me, but I allowed myself to be bullied because I don't have the time to, to defend myself. They have, they have an attorney on retainer or in house and who needs their salary justified. So that's what exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Only only when you move in those cases is just to bail out as quickly as possible because you're not going to (laughs) win. Right. Exactly. I mean, yeah, if it was something with one of our trademarks, I think, that would be different at this point. I would, I would fight that for sure. But, uh, but yeah, like, I mean, help spots like registered now too. So it's in the like super protected status as much as you can kind of be. And I do keep kind of an eye out for anybody. Uh, you know, you do, you're, you do have to protect it by like, if somebody, if somebody made an app called help spot, like I would have to send them a cease and desist or right. else your trademark is invalid and all that stuff. But uh, do you have an IP lawyer that sort of helps with that stuff or do you do that just sort of keep an eye on it yourself? Now we do. Um, we do. Yeah. They're not, it's kind of a, that whole situation is weird. I mean, we're like the tiniest customer. So they helped us in the beginning. I didn't, I just registered. Uh, I just like f- issued the, uh, you know, file for the trademark myself and then got that like years ago. And then, uh, yeah, then we like three years ago, we did get an IP like law, law firm who registered Userscape, which had never been registered, and did the actual registration of HelpSpot, which you can you have to have the trademark for five years before you can register it or something like that. I think it's five years, six years. So they like did that for us, and they keep a general eye on like the trademark searches and stuff. They're not. They, we don't pay them though. They'll do this, but we don't currently pay them for the like, they're searching the internet looking for abuses of it um, level. So that is just on our own, but like trademark filings and stuff they would catch. What am I hearing there? What, what's being drilled? I was hoping you couldn't hear that. Darn it. Oh, um, that's on your end? Yeah. I, thought, I thought it was Ian because every time. It's been quiet all day, right? Until we started recording. <laughs> that's all right. It's so, a disaster back. Man, we're having our backyard worked on, and the, the patio is being had to be torn out and is being replaced. And they decided that just as we started recording, it would be a great time to start cutting bricks. So <laughs> if this could be too big of a problem, we can reschedule No, that's all right. This, this shit never ends. The household nah, stuff never ends. I, I, have, and I have sewer repairs scheduled for next week. Yeah, that's like your uh, uh, cesspool thing, but we don't have a we don't have a, a cesspool tank. We we just connect with the city sewer system. Yeah, so, but the septic line tank? septic tank, septic right? Tank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just have a cesspool in my backyard. <laughs> open, open pit. You know, when you look for cesspool services, septic tank and cesspool services, they're like uh, they're the same, same right? Yeah. yeah. So I get all confused. So anyway, the there's a line that leaves the house that connects with the city line up the block, but that line is is perpendicular to this tree that's like a thousand and a half years old and has been sending its roots through our pipe, our main pipe. So it crumbled the pipe. So everything is messed up. So that's four grand down the hole right there. You have to pay for it? Well, I mean, I could go file a claim with the home insurance thing, but then the premiums will go up, whatever. So I'll just pay for it. No, but I mean, like, if usually that stuff's covered by the city. Yeah, if it's on city property, but it's not the city property. It's my pipe. It's on my property. Oh, it's your pipe. It's really long, though? How does it go that It should be, like, right to the front. It it goes to the front. It goes to the curb, right? To the front, to the driveway. 
I mean, it's not like your driveway. It's not like a 120-feet driveway. It's a regular. (laughs) (laughs) My driveway is like 400 feet, first of all. (laughs) Second of all, uh, yeah, no, that that was horrible digging that thing when we built the house. That was terrible. But anyway, it's a whole separate issue. I don't think it's a city thing. I think it's my thing. Yeah, Yeah, 4,000, that's close to insurance level. That's close. Yeah, I'm at enough. You know, I we guess. had our we had our our cesspool back up on in the basement of our mm-hmm. house. Yeah, and uh, it was like twenty thousand dollars to like fix everything. Yeah, you and don't, you don't want to get to that level of need. Yeah, <laughs> but we we know the the homeowners insurance paid it, and our rates have not gone up. Okay, so I'll really? fi- I'll file a claim. I never filed a claim. I even forgot I had home insurance. So you yeah. forget until it's time. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I just saved so you $4,000. They pull that thing right out of the mortgage payments. You don't even know you're paying it. You just forget about it. That's how they make their money. I don't do that anymore. I don't do that. I, I don't let them escrow anything. I just pay All everything. Right. I don't like the escrow. So anyway, not to get too far behind, Release Notes is sort of like our sister podcast. We started yeah, it at the same like time. And yeah. Charles co-hosts it with, I'm going to mispronounce this name completely, so just say it, Joe. I want to hear your take on it. All right. I'm going to say Siplinski. Uh, close. Chaplinsky. Chaplinsky. Oh, come on. There is no H in there at all. Hey, I can't help it. It's, it's, it's Polish. <laughs> all right. He actually, he, uh, he was speaking in Poland one time, and uh, uh, when he was about to take the stage, the person who was going to introduce him asked him, so do you want me to say your name like you say it or like we would say it? Yeah. <laughs> no, like, just do it the way you should be said. So that's the way he was int- introduced. Yeah. But yeah, he goes, it's Chaplinsky is the way he pronounces it. All right. And, uh... So you guys, your podcast, I mean, I, I think we share like half the audience. I think there's point. a lot of overlap. At least there should be because so. I think a lot of the same themes are covered on both both podcasts. But it's basically focused on iOS and Mac. You guys call it indie dev <laughs> in the iOS yeah, and Mac world. We're, we're um, in Mi- if Microsoft would be micro ISVs. Yeah, right. So. Yeah. I like how uh, they we started about the same time and they have 187 episodes and we have 80 uh well they went they went they went full (laughs) steam at some point they were like six episodes a week or something i don't know they were going nuts hey no never we once a week but we've never missed a week that's consistency yeah you know what else they did they they thought about having a conference when we thought about having a conference but they actually did something about it instead of like us yeah being lazy andre and i were kicking ideas back and forth uh, picking each other's brains on whether this was a good idea or not, <laughs> turns out in a conference, uh, throwing a conference is a lot of fun, but not a profit making opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a little tricky on the profit end. You guys are what now? Any third year, second year? Well, we've had we have two years under our belt, and we are in the process of um, investigating uh, possibilities of year three. We're so it must be um, worth it, right? Figure out location and you know stuff like that. So uh, you know. It's a big scam how all this stuff works um, with the uh, like hotels and, and and minimums and all that kind of stuff. So we're trying to separate some of the the food expense from hotel from venue so that we can uh, get a better deal on all of them. Hopefully, I just sent you. I, I want to talk about this conference a lot because I know a lot about this stuff. But I just sent you over Skype a picture of because Chaplin- your Chaplinsky. Chaplinsky Nesk next to the founder of Zendesk, obviously one of our huge giant competitors, not the one who sent us a nasty letter. Um, and they're like the same person. They're like freakishly similar. <laughs> you I, see that? Yeah. I thought it was the same person. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the guy crazy. on the right is the founder of Zendesk. I don't actually like, know who the left. founder of Zendesk is, but uh, wow. That's it's like. Similar. Isn't that freaky? I was like, wait a minute. Okay, it looks just like the Zendesk dude. 
Joe's got Michael. a secret identity. Who knew? That's right. He's making tons of cash. He's lying to you. <laughs> <laughs> he runs a whole company that. on the side. <laughs> he runs a public company when you're not looking. Anyway. Oh, well, I, I, that would make a lot of sense because we've, we've gotten some sponsorships recently. So maybe he's just sort of feeding, hey. doing the whole uh, money laundering thing. So <laughs> <laughs> This week, Bootstrapped is sponsored by Linode. Um, if you're looking for virtual machine hosting, I uh, definitely ought to check out Linode. They have eight data centers. Um, all the plan, the base plan starts at two gigabytes of RAM, and it goes up from there into very large servers. Really straightforward pricing, 10 bucks a month um, to start. And that's actually billed hourly. So if you want to spin up a, a server just to play around with a side project and spin it back down, you're only going to pay uh, you know, for the fraction of, of time you used on that. Um, they recently switched uh, from Zen to KVM and have seen you know, 300% performance increases uh, with the servers uh, we use at Userscape um, run on Linode. And we did that conversion. And it's amazing. We were able to actually lower uh, the size of many of our servers down to just the base two gigabyte server because they're just ridiculously fast now. So that's really been awesome. It's all uh, 40 gig uh, network. It's all modern Intel processors. It's all native SSD storage, 24-7, 365 support, uh, seven-day money-back guarantee if you don't like it, which I don't know why you wouldn't. Um, again, I've been hosted there for, I don't even know how long, five years or more um, with about 10 servers. Andre uses it as well. Uh, so definitely, definitely highly recommend Linode. Um, and uh, they've actually given us a, an offer code, bootstrapped 20 so if you use that code, you'll get 20 bucks off um, when you sign up for an account in Linode. So basically, uh, you can get your first two months for free, uh, or even if you're only using it for partial months, it could be last you longer than that, obviously. So definitely check that out. Offer code bootstrapped20, and we'll have that in the show notes uh, as well as a link right to that. that. That applies a discount for you. So go ahead and just check it out in the show notes, click on it. Um, our big, big thanks to Linode for always being a huge supporter of the show and uh I really can't highly recommend them enough. We use them for uh, everything at Userscape, and uh, it's been been rock solid. So thanks a lot to Linode for sponsoring the show. Hold on, before we get to the conference, though, I feel like we need to take a step back here because we got to get into like the the MetaKite stuff, just the software part of it. Like, give me give me the rundown on what yeah, that all is. Because like one of them is like a task manager calendar app, which seems totally insane. That anybody can make a living selling that these days. So I'm like, I'm like, actually really curious about that. So I was well, actually confused. Hold on. So I was actually confused. So I looked up the Medicaid stuff, and I knew that Charles was doing like productivity iOS stuff or like GTD type of stuff. And then I saw it a metatax.com oh, yeah. or something. And now I'm all confused up to hell. I don't know what's going on. Very big frontier in Medicaid software. Let me tell you. So to to understand that where like the whole productivity stuff came from, I've got to give you like the the really short origin story for Medicaid yeah. software because um, I was I, I got a degree in computer science and then got a, a job with a like basically a subsidiary of General Motors and it was sort of a soul-sucking job that, um, <laughs> but it, just, it, paid, it paid well for a kid right out of college and used my degree so it was good but mm -hmm. I knew pretty quickly that wasn't for me so uh, after uh, nine well-paid but soul-sucking years I, uh, I decided enough, enough is enough and I'm getting the heck out of here I went back and got a teaching degree nine and, uh, years I know, man. It's a long time. <laughs> it took you nine years to write the job. You know, you don't like. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I went sir. back and got a degree. Uh, became a math teacher in high school. 
And that's about the same time that the iPhone came out. So, you know, the iPhone comes out uh, next year, the, the app store is announced. And I'm like, eh, get the iPhone looks interesting. I get the iPhone. And I was looking for like a side project to, you know, I have this degree in computer science and I'm basically not using it at this point. So I wanted a side right. project to sort of uh, keep my chops up. And this looked like a good one. At the time, I was really into sort of the GTD thing. And there there wasn't really a, a great alternative out there that did exactly what I wanted. So I was like, yeah, I can build one. And so I did. Right. Um, you know, at the time, I was just hoping to sort of – I put it on the App Store sort of as a lark, hoping to eventually make back my, you know, $99 <laughs> membership fee for the Apple uh, <laughs> Apple membership or developer membership. And it sort of took off. And – then over a couple of years of updates and stuff like that, eventually the uh, the sweet sweet app store money was uh, was ended up sort of eclipsing teaching salary as hard as that is to believe I know. <laughs> but uh, you know, at, at some point you just sort of run out of time and and you have, I had to make a decision like I'm either gonna I can do one or I can do the other, but I can't really do what, both as well as I want to. And so that's where I sort of went indie and um, with the the productivity stuff. I had another product called Benjamin at the time. Um, but that's my long-winded, long-winded way of saying I didn't really know what I was doing at the beginning, and I sort of got lucky w- with uh, um, with the whole first action list, which was the GTD product, and now Benjamin, which is the um, the product that's sort of geared towards people who like Franklin Covey system, which is another productivity system that's out there. Hmm. The one thing I did have going for me is that it was geared towards a niche and uh, a really dedicated niche, both of them, and so uh, there was. A uh, really strong interest in in both of those types of products, and that interest has sort of um, carried me along uh, over the last several years. So, how much of this do you think was the fact that you were in there this early, as opposed to the type of product that is? With Actionless, I think that was definitely a big part of it, and that's part of the reason why I think it's gone away. Because I mean, there right now there are lots of um, GTD type apps that are out there, and many of them, most of them, are better than Actionless ever was. Um, so part of it was that I got in early when there was little competition. Um, I didn't get in like super early, like when the whole gold rush was going on where you mm-hmm. could throw up a, you know, a, that $99 I'm rich app and people would buy it just because it was on the app store. Right. <laughs> just that wave. So I was, I, I didn't make the golden age, but I sort of made the silver age um, as far as uh, app store stuff goes. Benjamin came along a couple of years later. I had a little better idea of what I was doing as far as the business side of stuff. And, uh, um, at least I had enough sense to recognize that um, finding a niche that was really interested in the particular product that you're putting out, and you know, that had a where they could where they could see uh, the actual, um, I guess, the advantage, the the, the problem that you're solving. If they had, they see some, um, they see it as an extension of their business or something like that. That's going to make them more product, productive, can help them save time, make money, whatever. Um, you know, that was. You know that that still has a is an advantage that Benjamin has going for it. So it's it's actually still going uh, really well today. Not a lot of uh, products have jumped into the sort of the the Franklin Planner space. Um, Franklin Covey, which is a company that owns it, has tried a couple different times, and they're a really good training company, and they do a really good job of making paper binders, but they really suck at software. And it's uh, it's shown a couple times they've tried to jump in there. So uh, it's uh, Benjamin's still chugging along and doing well for me. So I get, I've been been very happy with that. They need to buy Benjamin. Oh, God. Uh, trust me, I would much l- rather get a letter from them saying they want to buy me with, uh, rather than <laughs> they want to sue me, yeah. which has happened. <laughs> uh, I, could, I guess I could see that. It's, uh, yeah. How did that work out? Uh, I settled. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you fold. You know, right. Basically, 
they, my situation was sort of like yours that they didn't like. I was doing the same basic thing where I was doing comparison. I, well, actually, I wasn't even comparing. I was just sort of saying that I was compatible with their system is what it boils down to. Right. And they're very protective of, the, of their trademark, and for good reason because it's, it's a valuable one. Um, I still don't think that I was in violation. I, th- I think what I was doing was still permitted by the law, but I didn't have enough money to prove it. So right. we came to a compromise uh, and sort of spelled out what exactly I was and was not allowed to say. And uh, it's worked. I, I got enough of what I needed in order to still uh, do well in search rankings and, and get the make it clear what exactly it does without explicitly mentioning their, their brand. So I came out okay in the end, even though it was a pain in the butt when it happened. Yeah. How long ago was that? Oh, probably two years ago now. Okay. It's been a while. So, yeah. I mean, the edge sort of come off as <laughs> jittery as I used to be. But yeah, it was a it was an ugly time. There was a there was a span of about, I think probably a full calendar year where every single time my wife and I went on a trip or went on a vacation, I got a call from a lawyer, and it was just to wow. the point where every time we left the house, my wife was just sort of getting tense, waiting for a phone call. And uh, I don't know how that I don't know how that ended up happening uh, as far as timing, but. Um, they must have spies watching where I was going. <laughs> <laughs> Maximum annoyance. Exactly. <laughs> wow. But it's over, so life is good. I'm still yeah. chugging along. That's great. And yeah, uh, the productivity apps, I guess, are still pretty good. I guess people are still willing to pay for these for a little while longer, huh? And it's, it seems like... You subscribe well, to uh, Ian's Everything's Going Down to Zero theory? What do you say? You subscribe to Ian's uh, All Software is Going to Go Down to Zero theory? I subscribe to the consumer side of that. I, I think there's still a place for for like uh, like B two B and any place where you can actually demonstrate that, that they're going to make money from your software. I think you have the potential of selling it. But I can't really speak to the 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 web or the desktop side, so I don't have as much experience with it. But it's certainly on mobile, I think it's becoming a harder and harder sell to sell mm-hmm. mobile software um, just because people the expectation has been set at this point that. You know, mobile software is free, and you're going to make your money through advertising or something like that. So, I mean, I mean we just yeah. saw the the release of that Mario game today, right? I mean, these games cost like fifty dollars per cartridge if you buy the physical media, but you know, put it on meet on mobile, and all of a sudden, they complain when you charge ten bucks. So. Wow, let's not compare that turd. To- <laughs> <laughs> But even that, it's like, I feel like the, yeah, it's like everywhere, even in business software, it's just more that you have to, especially for small, I feel like you almost have to be prepared to move a little more often now. You know, like in the old days, you had a business, you had your deli, it stayed in that corner for 40 years and that was it or whatever. Like now you got to move your deli, like, you know what I mean? Like, so some business sector gets big, like you've already done, right? Like you had like just a task app and that sector got so overwhelmed that everything went to zero-ish and the and the quality was super high. So as a you know small shop, you can't compete there. So now you have to, you know, move to some other area where, you know, the neighbors aren't as ritzy and you can charge money for your software still and stuff. So I don't know. Well, I, think, I mean, I, I still think though with businesses that if you can demonstrate a very clear um, value proposition that, you know, you're going to save so many hours by using my software or you know, use my software and you're going to make more money. I mean, I think people who are running businesses have a, a mind for that kind of thing. And I think they're still willing to invest in, in that kind of stuff to, to make money. But, but it, you know, on the consumer side, it's getting rougher and rougher. That's for sure. But see on the business side, I don't, I think, in the, I think that's true of the business side, except that what happens is that's true for a little while. And then you have, more and more competitors come in to who are willing to provide that same hourly savings for your team for less money, right? So 
like that just keeps driving the cost down. Um, you know, or, and you're the opposite. We do have some people who are then like ultra high end, like we're going to be the super enterprise version. And that's kind of then a different world where yeah. you're, you're paying for the services around it and the name, the brand on it and all that stuff. But down here with us small people, you know, we can't, we can't play that game at that level of million dollar contracts or $10 million contracts or hundred million dollar contracts or all those things. So I don't know. It's probably not going all the way to zero. It might go to like 50 cents. <laughs> Beaker loves. Hopefully it lasts till, uh, till I'm retired. Now I'm starting to sound, that's like old people talk there, right? Like, well, hopefully it holds out till I'm 65. That's, there you go. that's all I care about. Um, anyway, so, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. We have a bunch of people that we know who are in the mobile space for a long time that are still there going strong, like Charles and um, uh, the Remember the Milk guys, uh, yep. the couple. Um, they've been around since, at least since as long as I've been around, in 05, if not earlier. They were doing the BlackBerry stuff too, and they're still around. They're iOS and web and Android and all that. And uh, But then Gavin from uh, retro dreamer uh, give fine their, their games but they, they've been around since the beginning too right and they're sort of not in the mobile space anymore at all because they just can't make a profit over there anymore um oh where do they make games for just console like the downloadable console stuff uh i think the the monsters and monocles is desktop i don't know if they're gonna have consoles for hmm. but it's definitely not mobile hmm. so. mobile gaming is just soul crushing i mean that's yeah. that's the i mean the, the steepest competition i can imagine I, if, if you're in the mobile making mobile, mobile games you have to be there for the love of the art form i mean there's no nobody would go into that just for business reasons it's just, yeah i mean it's, no, it's no kind no reason of, at all to do that it's kind of weird because it's sort of like the poorest and the richest are the game developers right. in mobile, right because like yeah, the top no of the middle. line there's yeah because no like the free-to-play sort of uh icky ones at the top there are making like five million dollars yeah. a day or something so yeah and then i feel like there's only there's like the ea yeah and you know candy crush or whatever all that stupid stuff is and then there's like the one person in their basement who makes you know letterpress or you know those ios games that have kind of taken off that were simple games but there's not like there's not too many of the hey we have seven employees and we crank out solid games every couple of years. Like I'm sure there's some, right? But that's not that's not the model that really works there. It's kind of it's kind of all or nothing. Yeah, I mean that that doesn't that's rare even in the non-mobile game world. Even the desktop stuff. It's just it's a it's a hard genre to compete in. Um, no, no temptation to ever make a game, Charles. Oh God, no, <laughs> no way. I'm not much of a gamer anyway. I listen. I mean, I have to, I have to admit, I am a faithful listener to, to Bootstrap, and so I listen to Andre uh, <laughs> talking about all his games that he's playing. I, have, I don't know what half of them even are. So. That's all right. We got to get Andre to make a game. Help me help Andre make a game. We got to make this happen. I, don't do it, Andre. I, I <laughs> oh no! Barely have enough time to sleep. That'll be good, good fodder for the show. You'll have more time if you stop playing the games and start making the games. Oh, there you go. Well, yeah, there you go. that's. I just can't spend ten hours writing code and then spend two more hours writing code for fun. It just doesn't <laughs> translate. 
I mean, no, I, you're gonna, you're when gonna I was make big dollars. when I was 15, yeah, but when I'm 38, no, I can't do it anymore. Uh, you're not 38 yet, are you? Are you 38? A couple of months. You're 38 already? Oh, you guys are youngins. I thought you were like 36 or something. <laughs> 37. How old are you, Charles? Do you want to? Do you want to? 40 what? Two just turned. 42. That's not too bad. I just turned 40, so I'm in the middle. There you go. I'm still waiting to like catch up to people. Like everybody we know, I'm still the youngest everywhere. Like ten years ago, I was the youngest at everything I did, and I was like, "Well, it'd be good to not be the youngest someday." Like in the you know five <laughs> years, seven years, and now I'm still the youngest everywhere we go for everything we do in our family. I don't know why we're in this like circle of people where I'm the youngest still. You, you know how that works when like everybody gets a birthday every single year, right? Yeah, you're never gonna catch up. <laughs> You could try. But. Oh, I know, but it's not, it's not all the same people. It's not just like these are people. These are new people. I get oh. in these new circles. I'm in new circles, and I'm still the youngest. You know, the online stuff, the internet definitely averages down faster than. Yeah, the internet. Yeah. Um, so I'll talk about the real, real world. On real world. I don't. I don't do real world. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the MetaTag stuff—that's yours, right? Yeah. And that looks like a subs- subscription SaaS webby thing, unless it's a yeah, backend big for... experiment. Oh, how's it going? Um, mediocre, honestly. It's—I mean, it's got potential, and I think it can still grow, but it's—it's it's been a pretty slow ramp. Um, is that a new thing? Yeah, newish. It's last year. Okay. So I mean, the problem with—I mean, it's part. I mean, I mentioned that with uh, sort of the actionless stuff, I got sort of lucky in in uh, in you know, getting some traction when I did. And, you know, over the years I've, you know, thought a lot about uh, mobile software and, and in particular, but software in general. And, you know, one of the things I sort of decided and observed is that, you know, market is sort of everything. You know, who it's more important who you sell to rather than necessarily what your product is. Um, and this was, I've been, I had been looking for a way to sort of combine some of my wife's expertise for a while. And she's a, she's an accountant. And so it seemed like a natural fit because, you know, accountants are a good sort of good market in that they there's a lot of small uh, independent accountants which is frankly about the size company i want to deal with i don't want to deal with you know the h&r blocks of the world mm-hmm. or the ernst and youngs or anything like that it's I'm, I'm way too small potatoes for them but for other independent businesses i i have the opportunity to understand um their business really really well and understand what their needs are and then provide a a product that's going to uh, help them achieve their goals and, and provide real value to them and you know potentially at a price that they can afford and so this is sort of uh, my stab at that my first real stab at doing this in a a very conscious way with meta tax um there's a you know tax preparation in the u.s at least is a, a big industry and there are literally hundreds of thousands of independent tax preparers out there and you know they all need a product during the busy tax season of sort of mid-january to mid-april of you know sort of getting quick access to information so that they can advise their clients and, you know, answer client questions, look up uh, different facts and facts and figures. And historically the way they've done that is through actually buying, you know, paper books and manuals. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of, of online products like that that are available. But they're all geared towards sort of medium sized business and, and large enterprise businesses. And they cost like $1,200 a seat. And so there's a, a, a sort of a, a cottage industry of paper products that have, that have grown up. And they've sort of stayed in paper because, you know, the accountants are sort of a technology backwards industry. They don't, there's not a lot of overlap between tech savvy folks and people with expertise in in accounting, at least in my experience. 
I was an accounting major. Were you really? Yeah. I don't, I, took, I don't know. I don't know anything about accounting. I took accounting <laughs> two weeks in college. I was like, oh God, I got to get out of here. <laughs> and so anyways, I mean, what, this was my attempt to sort of uh, bridge that gap and give small independent tax preparers access to a tool that does what they need, but gives it to them in an online form that they can use, you know, on their, on their desktop, they can copy and paste into emails and into um, the tax preparation software they're they're probably using, and then there's also sort of a, a mobile software component so they can reference that same information on the go. And you know there there are some other competitors that are sort of about my size, um, but their expertise, as I said, was really with paper, and they they have an online version, but it's really just the PDF version of what they're printing out and, and typically selling it anyway. Mm-hmm. anyway. So this is a you know sort of specialized for the for the purpose and makes use of all the technology that's actually available on the mobile sphere and, and on the web and stuff. And so I've gotten a lot of interest on it in it. Um, this, uh, this year, this fall has actually picked up quite a bit, um, but it's not yet in any position that it's going to um, push Benjamin out of, out of the, you know, the sort of the lead spot as moneymaker, but so, it's, it's slowly growing and I have, I have hopes for it to keep it going a little bit. So as a, as a long time mobile developer, uh, mm-hmm. What, how do you f- find the differences or compare uh, building and launching a, like sort of a pure web app as compared to making a living off a mobile app? From well, this is, is, this a, is this a web app or this is a mobile app, isn't it? Or no? It's well, a combination of both, sort of. Okay. So um, it looks like a, it's a straight up SaaS, right? Like a web yeah. app SaaS, but it has mobile clients. Yeah, it actually launched the other way though. The, okay. the mobile launched first, and it, it launched as a mobile solution, and that did not work. Oh, okay, because I saw the mobile one, and like it has a subscription for like a hundred bucks a year or whatever. So I thought it was just a mobile. Okay. Yeah, and the reason that didn't work, I think, is because like you know, that's not where, as I later learned, and should, probably should have guessed up front, that's not where accountants think to look for that kind of thing. They don't right. go on their iPhones. Oh, let's find a, a reference, right? That's not just not what they do. They use they're used to going to websites and and uh, you know maybe purchasing paper or looking for a website that has the information they need. But mobile is not where they're looking for. It's a nice add-on, but it's not where their focus lies. Mm-hmm. And so um, I learned pretty quickly that I needed a, a web component. And so when I when I got that built up, I actually sort of switched the marketing to make the the the, the web product the more of the the lead, and then made the iOS app basically. Um, an adjunct to to the web product, and that's actually worked out uh, a lot better for me. It's a lot, um, it's a lot easier marketing to mm-hmm. the, the 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 customer base for something like that because it meet it meets their expectations better, and so I've gotten some more pickup with that. So, I have a lot of questions on this. Then <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of questions. Ask away. I'm yours. Uh, you have something, Andre? I thought I heard you. No, uh, no. I just want to. I'm just fascinated. Like I was asking the same question to previous guests uh, about. Like I'm fascinated with the prospect of building a SaaS that doesn't have a web component, where like all the clients are native clients for all the platforms. Mm. So, but it's different from this because I could see this. Like your target audience drives the what you're doing with it, as opposed to mine, which is more like a generic type of. Well, maybe mine will too, but. Um, I don't see mine being as restricted to like where the audience really is looking for stuff online as opposed to mobile, but I'm just looking to avoid JavaScript. <laughs> I, don't, I think that's a bad reason. <laughs> but, and that's a great point, Charles. Has like nobody goes in the app store and looks for business solutions to anything. Do you know what I mean? So like you still have to find them on the website. And once you get them on the website, like then sending them back out to the mobile app is kind of weird from my desktop. Like just being right there as a SaaS app that has mobile clients seems... 
there's a big debate going on in uh, iOS community and Mac too about sort of the, the future of the iPad and whether that is going to become whether that can be repositioned as sort of the business platform, sort of the business iOS versus the consumer, which would be the the iPhone. Mm. And a lot of people have a lot of hopes for that, and it may happen someday, but it's not happening today. I mean, you, some businesses there are some some niches that actually use uh, iPads in their in their uh, business life. You know, like sales right. is a big place. Um, but to like just get sort of crank out work and get work done, most businesses are still using desktops. And so, I mean, I think an, an, a pure iOS solution for something like that might work in the future, but I don't need revenue in the future. I need revenue today. <laughs> so I got to go where the customers are right now. And, you know, especially with like MetaTax, Meta that's, that's where they are. I mean, they're using their desktop software to, prepare taxes and look up information and um that's where i've got to be we'll be back with part two of our conversation with charles perry from medikite software and release notes.tv next week